my name's Rob and I'm the host of Real Friends, a podcast dedicated to sharing the real stories of real friends with the belief that each one of us wants to be fully known and fully loved. If you live long enough, you're bound to experience challenges in life, some major, some minor, some self-inflicted while others totally out of our control. Truth is, we all experience challenges in life. Today, in part one of a two-part series, I share a conversation with a friend of mine, Ian Breckenridge. Like each of us, Ian has experienced his own unique set of challenges in life, both financial, relational, and spiritual. How do you rebound from these struggles to develop a greater sense of empathy for the people you love and serve? Or how do you use the challenges you've experienced in life to provide hope for people wrestling with hopelessness? Listen to my friend, Ian Breckeridge, as he shares his open, honest story and discover for yourself. Thank you for listening. This is Real Friends. So I'm here with my friend, Ian Breckeridge. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, and so you really are busy these days, aren't you? I am. Yeah, I am. Um, so let's, you and I, we've known one another for what, about 15 plus years, yeah. give or take? Yeah. And um, we met through the crossing, but do you remember, how did you and I actually meet? Was it through a class at church or was it through a men's group at church? Uh, that's a good question. I don't remember. Um I know your name came up in a conversation, so I was on the lookout for you at one point. But somehow, it was most likely through an activity at church. Yep. Okay. Um, so I like to kick things off by using the five love languages as an introduction to who you are and how you both express and receive love. And if anybody hears a barking dog in the background, it's because Ian has a dog, so don't be surprised. Um, for those who are unfamiliar with the five love languages, it's based on a book written by Gary Chapman, that groups our abilities to both express love and receive love into five love languages. And those are physical affection, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, and gifts. So if you're ready, we'll go through each one of these and see how they resonate with you. Okay. So first of all, physical affection. How important is it to you, and what does it look like these days? Well, it's important, um, but... You know, I am single, so um, it's it's limited, <laughs> to say the sure. least. Yeah. yeah. Well, even like um, just having a pet, how important is like physical affection with a pet? Well, that's a good point. I, I He's only 11 months old, so I got him for different reasons. Um, I, he's, I'm bringing him into my therapy practice, so I've been working with him and training him. But um, it... Since you mentioned it, yeah, I mean, he's around. Before yeah. it was just me and the cactus over yeah. there. And, <laughs> and cacti are hard to pet, aren't they? they well, they are. <laughs> and they don't talk back and they just kind of stare at you. And Yeah. But um, no, and we do a lot together. We go out and uh, we walk, uh, we hike together yeah. and uh, in the training together, you know. So we're, I take him to work with me every day. Yeah. And how about, and we'll get into this a little bit more as the uh, interview progresses, but... Um, how about what does physical affection look like um, in terms of therapy? Because you work with horses. How important is it to touch, feel horses, stuff like that? Well, I would say not as much. I mean, there's a certain rhythm to the horses and the touching certainly plays into it. But it's more about connection and relationship. So a lot more emotional than physical. Gotcha. Um, so if I were to ask you, who's the most affectionate person in your life these days, how would you answer that? If you were giving out trophies for being <laughs> affectionate, who would you give your first place trophy to? That's a tough question. I don't, I have, but my daughter would yeah, be, sure. a daughter. Yeah, my grandkids, grandkids maybe. Yeah, you bet. Yep. Yeah. Um, so that's physical affection. Uh, the second love language is quality time. What does quality time look like to you these days? And do you gravitate more towards quality time that's active, passive, or both? Well, I think quality time is a big one for me because um, I, I've, I've, I view it differently these days. Uh, now I am where I am, but um, when I'm with people, particularly, I guess, in therapy, it's a necessity you know, to be present, be in the moment, work with people. And we have multiple sessions every day, and there's a lot of tear up and tear down and set up for the sessions. But um, 
being able to focus on people and be in the present. In other words, that somebody said once, you know, listening is about actually listening and not try to anticipate an answer, you know, just, and and that's a big thing. Um, So, and giving it too is the flip side of the same coin is um, being there for someone, you know, to give quality time. I don't think there's a better gift in the world than being present and being truly genuinely caring about someone. And yeah. Um, since you've kind of alluded to it several times already, um, what's your act, what's your current profession in terms of why quality time spends, uh, plays such an important role in that? Well, my currently I'm, I basically, I retired from high tech and I went back to school actually 10 years ago when I was 58 and, uh, I got a degree, a master's in counseling. And uh, then I studied on the equine side, got the certifications to work with horses. Now, this is something I found out about when I lived in Arizona many years ago. I met somebody 30 years ago that was doing this before it was a thing. So anyway, I, got, I was interested in it and I was looking, I decided uh, it's something I could do and wanted to do so in retirement, you know. And so, uh, so for me, um, it took a long time to get through school. Like I was still working full time and then the equine side came along. And so it, it, it was a, it was a transition more than anything else. So, um, kind of getting off track here, but that's okay. Um, yeah. So the quality time part, I mean, I was able to focus on me and, um, I said, I've been, I've been, I got divorced in 2007 and I, really haven't had, um, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't dated, you know, I'm not dating anyone. I mean, it's just, but I have friends that mean a lot to me. Sure. So, um, I kind of created my own term. It's just called uh, distributed attachment. <laughs> Attachment's a thing, you know, <laughs> when you're attached to people and you connect, but getting various things from different people. And to do that, you have to pay attention. You have to be engaged. You have to be, uh, connected to those people. Yeah. Um, so who do you think, or who do you feel like you spend your best quality time with these days? Um, so that's a, so there's people I work with Mm -hmm. that I'm with all the time and just through being together for long periods of time in this kind of work, you can't help but say you spend a lot of time with this person and it's high quality time because you share so many yeah, experiences sure. in the process. And then outside of that, it would have to go back to, I don't have a big family. I have a daughter and a couple grandkids. So for me, um, that's having the only family that I've really got in terms of, of blood. But then there's friends, you know, friends and acquaintances, some people I've known for almost my whole life. And they are important. Um, others that are transitory, but give you something as you pass sort of two ships pass in the nights, so they leave, we leave something with each other and move on, you know? So, yeah. and I think the quality of a relationship is important. We talk a lot about relationship in the work I do. So relationship with yourself, relationship with God, relationship with other people and that includes friends and family, you know, how that, what that looks like and being authentic, being able to, I I value and judge the relationships by how much can I be myself, you know, with this person and, um, <laughs> he's, <laughs> you have a dog scratching at the uh, patio door wanting to get in. <laughs> and he's, and he's standing up and he's almost as tall as me. I know. So it's amazing. So, but, um, so being able to be authentic with that person in a relationship. And um, I think the more authentic, the deeper the relationship, the more meaningful it becomes, you know. And some people, I think connection's important. You know, some people you connect with better than others. And there's an understanding there. Uh, that goes with that. So, yeah, good. Um, so that's quality time. Uh, the next love language is words of affirmation, encouragement, or love. How important is it to be affirmed, encouraged, or acknowledged, not only for what you do, but more importantly, for who you are? 
And how important is it to hear those three simple words, I love you? Well, again, um, I don't hear those words all that often. Uh, I'm not in a relationship that would foster that. It doesn't mean I don't care about people or love people. I mean, I think I might be wrong in this, so I don't know who will listen to this podcast, but any any Hebrew experts, but I believe there's a number of different words, something like eight different words in Hebrew right. for the word love, you know? Yeah. So I love hot dogs or yeah. I love my girlfriend or I love my dog. They all mean maybe different things. Yeah. So uh, I think people have to be careful with that word, particularly in the English vernacular, because we use the same word for all things. But love is something I think that gives people hope. And being able to love, again, starting with yourself, if if you're a believer, loving Christ, loving God, you know, having that relationship. Sometimes it's hard to love people, you know, just, right. you know with, with what's happening in the world today. But um, you have to have an understanding of at least what that feels like so that you have, you can orient yourself in the world and understand your feelings. Well, how about um, if we substitute instead of the word love, how about appreciate or respect you? How important is it for people to appreciate you or respect you? Well, you know, honestly, that's probably the least of things. I, I don't, I don't hear those words often. I, and I, and I don't look for them. And maybe that's because I haven't had them for such a long time. There are a few people in my life that, do tell me that. Yeah. And I, those are people that know me. And so that's meaningful to me when something like that said, and it, I, I have a genuine emotional reaction to it, you know, but I don't hear it that often, but when I hear it, it's, it is meaningful, but it's not what drives me. Yeah. Yeah. So who's the most encouraging person that you know, and how encouraging do you feel like you are in other people's lives? Well, taking the second one first, um, I don't know the answer to that because we talk about that. I mean, we, I, professionally, I see people in this equine-assisted therapy work that we do and send them on their way. Mm -hmm. And we work with all types of people. So, and I mean, but I work primarily with adults and adolescents. But what I'm saying is veterans, you know, regular people but once you send them on your way I, I I hope just to um that we've had some impact on them a positive impact to change their life and maybe change their trajectory from where they were headed to a, a new trajectory that will be better for them so um and as far as what was the second part the first part well, of the question so who is the most encouraging person that you know like I um, either for you personally, or you just observe that that's their personality. They're an encourager by nature. Well, there's some people that inspire me. I mean, again, some of the people I work with, um, mm -hmm. I've gotten to know really well, and I they're inspirational, but they're also um, in the sense that you see character coming out in people, and um, it's more unspoken than anything else. You know, I really respect a strong worth ethic, a value, honesty, truth, you know, I have a, a value authenticity. So again, back to sort of the, one of the other love languages is I kind of judge things by how authentic I can be with this person and this person is being with me. So in the work we do, it's absolutely necessary. So there, are, there's a layer of people in there. And then outside of that, again, I don't get out much. So <laughs> you and I have known each other a long time yeah. and Yep. I would say that the conversation we ha have over the years have been a lot like this one. Yeah, you know, right. we just talk about things yep. and yep, everything. What's it like to be, you know, single and what are we doing with that to um, kind of these more involved conversations. And, yeah. and those are meaningful to me because they make me stop and think about yeah. things I normally don't think yeah, about. Me too. So that's the third love language. The fourth love language is service, acts of service. How important is acts of service in your life? And what would it look like for somebody to serve you well, either in your role as a dad, a friend, an employee slash employer? What would that look like? 
Well, for me, access service it's, is one of my top two. The the quality time is one. This is another big one for me is that I try to do the best that I can do in a given situation. And so um, being able to do that, again, wraps all the other things we've talked about. I mean, I have to be able to be authentic, but to do that, I have to connect and I have to be attached to people. And the, I do my best work with people I am attached to and that I do connect with. So, um, I would say that, um, to receive it. So to give it like, for example, the reason I'm kind of muttering is I don't know what to say sometimes, <laughs> but so I, I volunteer at the barn. I go in and I'll muck stalls and yeah. help them move horses and feed horses. And I don't know, I still don't know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for quite some time now. So I just do what the barn, the ranch manager tells me to do. And she and I also work together in the EAP session. So there's a lot of bantering going on. And so EAP for our listeners who don't know what that Oh, equine assisted psychotherapy. Okay. So I'll go say, I'll segue out here just a little bit. So okay. we work in teams. So I'm the people part of the equation. I'm a licensed professional counselor. So LPC. And then I have an equine specialist that works with me. So we work in a team and that person is extremely important because the two things one is safety that's kind of the obvious one but the other is this person is does the translation between how the horse is responding to the people because in the work we do there's a reason we use the horses um they're prey animals and i won't go down that rabbit hole but back to the teamwork that we do so having a good one that has good instincts, good knowledge. And I'm very fortunate I work with someone like that that is extremely knowledgeable. But unfortunately for me, she's also the ranch manager. So gotcha. when I'm volunteering, um, you know, it's, 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 so it's an act of service to go in and do, but I, I don't do things right all the time, you know, no. and it's kind of funny. None of us do. You know, I keep thinking to myself, why did I spend all this money to right. shovel horse poop? And, <laughs> um, but it's, it's all quote, joking aside, to me, it's really important because I get up at like 4, 4.30 in the morning and I started doing this kind of accidentally. And so for me to have the routine and then I actually enjoy the work, I enjoy, you know, we we do this year round, you know, just because it's Christmas yeah. morning, you, you don't get a holiday. Wow. The horses still yeah. need to be fed and moved and and the weather, as you know, has not been great. And, uh, so, but we're out there. I mean, you know, in teen, I mean, I just remember it just gets really cold, but we have layers, you know, and when you start to work, it doesn't matter. So I, I know I'm kind of embellishing this a little bit, but it's important, you know, as, in terms of the question that you asked yeah. about yeah. acts of service. So for me, that's an act of service, just overall to support the overall program, do my part. It also helps me. Um, and I think it's good because I've learned a lot about horses just by at that level, but, but in the arena, in the work that we do, I change roles, you know? And so I'm able to, I focus on the person and we have to create act, activities, but again, understanding that the, the horse, uh, each horse is different. They're like people. So understanding the horses individually and, you know, working with them after a year or so you get to know that. So again, back it's, it's, it all plays in together, but it's, it's not something that um, I think much about. It's just something that I do. Yeah. Um, so the final love language is gifts. How important are gifts to you? And are you a gift card type of person? Or do you like to take time and research and personalize your gifts? And what's the best gift that you've either given and or received over the past, I don't know, 5, 10, 20 years? <laughs> Pick your time frame. Well... I mean, gifts are fun, but again, I, I don't, it depends on who it's for, or who I'm getting it from. Yeah. You know, yeah, sure. um, some people, you know, I mean like money or whatever gift cards or, but if somebody puts thought into a gift for me, that means everything to me yeah. you know, because it could, I don't care what it is if, yeah. if they've done it. And even, you know, my grandkids, when they make those little crayon things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, but all the way so up to sweet. adults, you know, give me something that they put some yeah. thought into. So have you gotten a gift? It can either be recently or whatever 
sort of time frame that really stands out to you in terms of you thought it was really special, very personalized, that you could tell somebody had to kind of know you in order to come up with that gift? Yeah. I mean, I have to say yes to that. And, um, but did you want to share what that is or would you prefer we guess? Yeah, I'll leave you guys guessing what it is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, it was, it was a, you know, personal, you know, well thought out. It wasn't anything weird. It was just thought yeah. out and, and, uh, yeah. And yeah. for example, my daughter for, um, like it's tough to buy me anything, right? I'm at the age season life. If I really want something, I'll go out and buy it. And as a matter of fact, I found out as my tastes have kind of become refined, if it deals with like running equipment or camera equipment, I know exactly what I want. And it ends up being in the, the, the more expensive range. I wouldn't expect anybody to get me a gift like that. But what my daughter did was for the um, a Christmas gift, got me a collage of um, grandpa with um, my granddaughter, Gigi. And it was a perfect gift, a nice yeah. um, framed and everything for me. And uh, like your artwork there, it's I have it uh, uh, positioned in my house the same way. But that was a really great gift that only she could provide. Um, and it just showed different snapshots of time that I spent with Gigi over the first year. So that yeah. was a very, very... Yeah, my, this is similar to what, yeah. you know, it's just people experience we've had together thoughts you know or just th things we know about each other you yeah. know that that are meaningful and more what, what do you say inspirational sort of yeah. encouraging yeah. you know yeah. um yeah how about what's the best gift you've given somebody over the, the past x amount of years oh my gosh money leave them money? leave them alone there you go right yes <laughs> give them their peace and, and tranquility yeah. don't pick away at them yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, that's really weird. I've gotten, um, are you a good gift giver? I try to be when I, and by that, I mean, I used to work for Neiman Marcus years ago. Ah, and so yeah, the did, great thing, I did about, not know that. Well, I, I ran their precious jewelry department for wow. many years. And mm. so, um, but that back then, I don't know if it's still that way today, but it was more of a culture. Yeah. And, uh, when I got hired there, they flew me down to Dallas and meet with the, higher ups and yeah. I met a couple of the Marcuses and the other executives and uh, so the art of gift giving because when people uh, in this particular case had a lot of money the challenge was not what they could afford to buy it's how creative can you be in giving uh, a gift you know? uh, so I yeah. heard all kinds of stories about it, how yeah. things but so how the gift gets packaged how much thoughts put into it, just the wrapping yeah. and, and the timing was yeah. all very critical and a gift that was meaningful. Um, I can't, you know, I can't do that with everybody, but you know, some people I, I have, and I even tell that story that it's important, you know, to think, incorporate as much of that person into the gift you're giving as you can. And that starts with the thought of, yeah, putting it in. Because I forgot all about it until you mentioned it, but one of your other gifts or talents is that you've also designed jewelry, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So is that something that you still currently do, or is that something that you've kind of... I do, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know why I describe it this way, but it's like that flower pot you have that the plant's dead, and then every now and then a green thing shoots <laughs> up, you know, for no apparent reason. You didn't water it, but, you know. Yeah. So every now and then I, ma I do. I make a piece yeah. of jewelry. I've got it really... Yeah. I only make a, you know, like certain types of jewelry because yeah. I don't have the equipment anymore, and I don't have the... And I never was real good at it, so I call it very primitive. But I use um, a certain lost wax casting method. I make everything out of wax. But yeah, mm. so I, I do do that. Um, so are diamonds truly a girl's best friend? <laughs> I don't know. You'd have to ask a girl. Yeah. Carol Channing. Is, uh, that's a Carol yeah. Channing reference. Yeah, so. no, I, I remember it yeah. well. But, you yeah. know, it's, uh, yeah. I don't know. Any gift that's well thought out is, yeah. is a good right. one. You know, the, one, the ones that people don't think and they give people gifts that they think the person will like yeah. that they like and want to give the person yeah. and those usually are less important or less meaningful than gifts that you've really paid attention to yeah. the person yeah i have discovered a lot of times as opposed to like the um the the major events in life like christmas or birthdays kind of the unexpected 
gift. And a lot of times it can just be a card where somebody has intentionally offered, and this ties back into like the whole words of encouragement, tied in some encouraging or thoughtful words. I find that a lot of times those are the, the gifts that stick with me and resonate the most with me. I think that the, the love languages in terms of how you receive and how you express don't necessarily have to line up. Like with me, for example, I think quality time and as a result of COVID, words of affirmation are probably the two top ways that I receive love. But I think definitely the way I express it with other people is acts of service is really, I'm in a season of life right now where being single actually enables me to serve in a variety of different ways, whether it's in ways that you might normally think of, like being a youth volunteer, mm-hmm. or working with the young adults, or at church, or in other ways maybe that it's less obvious, like um, being the amateur photographer for the running group that I'm a part of. I just love to serve people that way. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's good. It's good when you, it's good when you're passionate about something and people are equally as appreciative of the, the service that you're providing them because then it's kind of like a win-win. Yeah. Okay, so that ends the five love languages. Um, let's transition and talk about you and who you are right now. So during your current seasonal life, how would you define or describe Iron Breckenridge? Do you see yourself as thriving and exactly where you want to be? Maybe thriving, but still have a lot more that you'd like to accomplish. Do you feel like you're stalled in decline, headed in the wrong direction, or somewhere in between? No, I definitely feel like I'm thriving. Uh, How so? Well, I think this is, it took me a long time to get here, um, but this didn't just happen overnight. I mean, I think in hindsight, I don't think God wastes anything, you know, yeah, so experiences, amen. Amen. you know, going through divorce yep. and multiple relationship, raising kids, you know, moving around the country, different jobs. And, you know, looking back at who I, my identity when I was 30 years ago versus today. I mean, I talked earlier about being, being able to be authentic with yeah. people. And I don't know if it's, it's probably a result of getting older also, you know, yeah. People joke about that. You don't really care what people think anymore. And I really don't, you know. <laughs> but I also know that, uh, and I didn't, some people think I was so smart. Oh, you planned this, you know, to get here. Because it, it took me almost six years to get through school because I yeah. was still working full time. Yeah. The fact that I stuck with it and did as well as I did uh, shocked even me. And mm-hmm. I enjoyed it because I wanted to be there. Yeah. And I found a way to do it. But I couldn't have done it if I was trying to raise a family. Yeah. True. So being single provides a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Some of the challenges I already mentioned, you know, relationally speaking, because I still, I need, you know, I need those connections with people. I need to be loved. I need to be able to love right. people. You we know? all do. Yep. Yeah. Amen. And, um, and I'm still, I don't dwell on it, but, you know, uh, having someone in my life that's, the main, you know, partner is, there's nothing like that. So in working around, um, again, back to the horses and back to how I got to where I am, I give, I give, I mean, God has just moved me. I mean, I have no doubt he has a plan. I mean, and he knows me, knows my heart, you know, and I'm, 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 uh, I'm trying to restrain myself because other people are going to listen to this. (laughs) I'm not a, I don't consider myself anything less than, you know, I'm I'm just a person. I'm not perfect. I know God accepts me the way I am, which not many people do, but he does, you know, and I feel that. And so going to do the work that I do, I, it, it fills me up. Yeah. As opposed to suck the life out of me. Yeah. Which Isn't is, that awesome, right? That's the way it should yeah, be. Yeah, I like getting up in the morning. That's why I get up so early. I'm anxious to get the day going. And uh, physically, I'm I'm better off now than I was yeah. sitting at a desk or behind a desk for all those years. Mentally, I've never been happier. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I, awesome. I haven't. Yeah. That in and of itself is a great story. Well, it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't talk much about it, but I see people all the time and they're 
thirties, forties, you know, oh, life's over. It's too late. I can't, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, well, I went back to school at 58. <laughs> Do I tell them this, you know, cause they think I've been doing this my whole life. And, uh, and coming out of, cause like you said, I, I was a jeweler many, many years ago yeah. and then was in technology for decades and then transitioned out of that. So I, I know a lot about transitions, particularly relationally. I've been divorced, you know, back a couple of times. And so, um, jobs, you know, careers transitioning really helps people, people understand themselves. So things that people look at are bad that happen to like a divorce, for example, as you transition through that, you become something you were that you weren't before. And every experience you have in transition, job change, people die, you know, around you, friends move on, you get betrayal, you know, or you meet the love of your life. You know, you have a real uplifting experience because emotionally, I think hope is the most important thing people can have. And yeah. oddly enough, I mean, that was, that was one of the gifts I got that I really treasure is somebody knew that about me, that my word is hope. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's uh, good. That's a great word. Yeah. And I mean the kind of hope that you're not, it's not wishful thinking. Yeah. It's the kind of hope that because, you know, I was able to run a mile, I'm hopeful I can run too because I know I can. Yeah. You know, I just need to do that. Yeah. I don't run. I'm using that clue. Right. So it's it's analogy, good. Right. Yeah. Metaphor. But um, so that kind of hope is the thing that'll change a person's trajectory because they'll start to do things on their own because they care about themselves. You know, they feel hopeful about their yeah. future. Yeah. And what you're currently doing right now is you provide, or you at least try to provide your clients hope. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole, the whole program does, I mean, there's a lot of people that have to make this work. You yeah. know, like I said, the, the getting there at 6.30 in the morning or 7 in the morning to muck stalls and get the horses moved around has to happen whether it's yeah. season, season, there's no days off, you know. And yeah. some of the people that are responsible for that um, really encourage me, you know, because I see how dedicated they yeah. are and how much they love just yeah. the animals, the lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and they have their own problems. Yeah. You know, I see them going through the same pain and heartache of raising families or... Yeah disappointments or you know so it's a very real environment for me yeah and i just you know i look in the mirror that's the only way i recognize how old i really am because <laughs> i don't feel old you know i mean i feel there's that phrase young at heart but I, but I know when i try to go to the gym it's not nearly as good as it used to be <laughs> at least you're still going to the gym right give yourself uh, some some credit for that well that's a new thing yeah i finally I got t I got tired of doing the turtle thing in the morning, trying to get out of bed. <laughs> so, I, and it's amazing to me how quickly my body responded just to a little bit of workout, giving yeah. it a little bit. Because at the, I thought, and at the barn, you know, we're active. Or yeah. I was, I average like ten thousand steps a day if you track those yeah. things, and that's right where you want to be. Yeah. But all I'm, but I don't notice it because we're walking and, you know, occasionally throw hay bales and yeah. do harder work. But just the routine of 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 that lifestyle is good yeah okay so you've given us kind of a snapshot of where you currently are <clears throat> now i like to rewind a bit and start things at the beginning because i feel like for better or for worse the stuff that we go through early in life shapes us and if we deal with it in a healthy way we come out stronger if uh we deal with it maybe in a not so healthy way then it's there's stuff that we're continuing to drag with us from seasonal life to seasonal life so, um, tell me about your childhood and years of the youth. What are your earliest memories as a child growing up? Good, bad, somewhere in between. And what did you want to be growing up? Wow. Didn't see that question coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, let me think about this for just a moment. That's let me share, for example, like when I was growing up, I wanted to be the prototypical like policeman, uh, fireman, astronaut, but then um, my mom says that on TV once upon a time the Pope showed up on TV, and my mom says that I told her that I want to be that person one of these days, 
So that actually ended up shaping later on down the road where I ended up going to high school and several years of college, ended up going the seminary route, all because my mom thought that I was, either that I was a she, good Catholic mom, right? She figures that it's a, an act of God that I'm saying. Oh, yeah. At of course. The, um, I, want to be, I want to be the Pope one of these days. So, um, okay. So, um, I think I would describe it as I had what I thought, because I grew up in this, I was born in the early 50s. I grew up primarily 60s and 70s. So America was a much different place back then. Yep. And so it was about sports and um, focus was on different things. I mean, um, and I have what I consider a sort of an, what I considered a normal childhood. I'm, since I've been doing the work I'm doing, I, I realize there's no such thing. Because we know none of us come through childhood unscathed um, in one way or another. Some are worse off than others. But be- so, how do you apply that to your own life then? In retrospect, looking back on your own. Well, life. that's that's kind of what I'm saying is that um, I had what I considered a normal life. My I had parents that were together for sixty some odd years. Wow. You know, I had I was in sports. I went to school. Mm-hmm. Um, had girlfriends. You know. Yeah. Uh, did all the things we did back then. I didn't have any trauma. I wasn't, you know, my parents didn't come home beat me at night or they weren't alcoholics or they yeah. weren't drug addicts or bad people. And I didn't have any problems of any kind of abuse. But in the absence of that, I wasn't really well prepared to get out in the world. So, you know, you go through the childhood, my childhood, and then I think the real, the real big turning point for me, uh, I had a sister that was killed in a car accident when I was 18. And it, it destroyed our family, basically. Mm-hmm. My mother yeah. never recovered from mm-hmm. that. And my sister was a um, straight-A student, cheerleader, wonderful person. People loved her. She was in synchronized swimming. She was uh, a medalist in Junior Olympics. And by medalist, I mean she won a lot of gold, but you know, bronze and silvers, but just yeah. competed in, in uh, gymnastics and synchronized swimming. So really a a a person that allowed me to kind of work in the shadows of her and be me do what i did which was not that (laughs) and uh you know i just i had a good time as as best i could but off to college so when that happened it changed everything and so i was left sort of on my own emotionally for a long time and that was the period of time i think i made my biggest mistakes just making decisions early on that I had no business making. I wasn't prepared for it. I made them for all the wrong reasons, all the wrong reasons. And I can get into that some other time. But um, if we can just leave it at that, and it's, particularly in hindsight, I see now particularly, and it's, so it's easy for me to spot people I'm working with in the mm-hmm. same frame of mind, mm-hmm. whether it's from some sort of trauma or some sort of just whatever they, however they came up, I can spot these things yeah. pretty easily. So I think what it left me with, and I was not a loner per se, but um, uh, I had I belonged to various groups of people. I wasn't one kind of clique or the other. I kind of got along with everybody, and but I but I started to move around a lot. So I I didn't just move. I like I lived in Boston for seven or eight years. And I lived in Arizona for seven or eight years, and here and I've moved around here quite a bit. I think I've had I think this is my eleventh house that I've owned in my lifetime. Wow. Yeah way more than I probably should have. That's why it's made out of plastic. I don't have, I don't have to do anything now. It's vinyl and yeah. laminate floors instead of wood. And Anyway, so, um, so yeah, so the, looking back, I mean, I, I had a good childhood. My parents were good to me. My dad in particular, I really looked up to him. He was yeah. just a, he was oh, a good man. That's good. My mom and I butted heads. She was from Scotland. They were they were, he, she was a war bride, World War II, so oh. that my dad came out of the Depression, you know, so that has a certain tonation about it yeah. that made them who they were. Much simpler people. Yeah. But, um, so no, I, I have good memories, but um, the track. So what's your, what's your fondest memory of your mom and your fondest memory of your dad? Um, I think it's just watching my dad laugh when we were growing up, you know. He'd always tell these stupid stories, and he laughed harder than anybody else at him. <laughs> it was growing up on the farm and all these farm jokes and stuff, and I was like, what? 
And my mom, I think, um, was she was always trying to, my mom always had me in sports or engaged in something, uh, which yeah. I didn't like. Yeah. Um, but she didn't care about that. She was pushing ahead and that was her agenda. Yeah. But in hindsight, I think in hind at the time I hated it, but in hindsight, I see it's really made me who I am. I picked up yeah. a lot of the skills, like learning how to swim. Yeah. She wanted me to play the piano. I wish I would have, yeah. but I didn't. I played saxophone instead, but that I gave that up a long time ago. So, so just in general, I'd say those are, those are them. Again, after my sister passed away, was killed in that. And how old were you when she passed away? I was 18. She was 17. So it was a, you know, tragic sort of drunk driver thing and, Mm. um, caught everybody by surprise. And so, I miss that. I mean, I have to go back prior to that to to get these happy memories because yeah. after that there weren't very many. Yeah. I saw my dad struggling. My mom developed Alzheimer's later, mm. and he took care of her for over over ten years. Yeah. Wow. Kept her at home, and and it truthfully, it's eventually what killed him was yeah. taking care of her. So those <clears throat> memories were hard, you know, but they made me appreciate. Again, God doesn't waste anything. You know, I get a real appreciation for every day you know it's like living in the moment every you know take today i had a counselor once myself guy i really looked up to that told me one time just take it a day at a time he wrote it on the back of his business card like i don't know 15 years ago i still have that business card taped onto Mm. my computer yeah because it's still relevant to me i have that hard of a time doing it (laughs) yeah um so that would have happened towards the tail end of high school right 1973. So I was actually at college when it oh, happened. Oh, you were in college, okay. I was in my first or second year of college, and uh, she had actually gone off to look at colleges herself, yeah. and uh, and so uh, that's when the accident happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how were the college years for you then? Oh my gosh, uh, I don't remember some of it. You know, it was just, uh, I went to a school that... Um, in Columbia, it used to be the old Christian college, and it went co-ed and became Columbia College. So I was there, like, I think the second year was co-ed. And so um, they were trying to get their act together. But there were, I don't know, there were maybe 50 guys and 700 some odd girls in this school, you know. So And I didn't know what I wanted to be. And it was a, a associates, a, what do you call it, associate of arts, but it's just a liberal college, mm-hmm. you know, liberal. So... Um, I got a foundation for school, but I, 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 I didn't, I didn't have a clear, I want to be this, want to be that, yeah. you know, I thought there were things I wanted to be, but what did you think you wanted to be? Well, uh, at one point an architect when I okay. got out of, when I got out of high school and psychologists okay. when I got out of high school, yeah. neither of which happened yeah. uh, until, I mean, this is as close as I'll get as a counselor, but yeah. I say that, but you know, I'd have to anyway. So, um, yeah, so, so it was, I learned probably all the bad habits I ever did in college, you know, thank you, college. Mm -hmm. Thank you. College is right. And I also made some, you know, lifelong relationships there. Um, yeah, but I don't, I, after a couple of years, after I got my associates, I, I didn't go back to get a bachelor's, which I, that's, I ended up at Covenant Seminary to get my master's degree because they were the only ones that said I could take my associate's degree and if I could keep up with the master's program. Yeah. Good for them. So, yeah. yeah, it was an opportunity. I couldn't do that just any place. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Covenant. Yeah. Um, so college, that's kind of its own season of life. Mm-hmm. So you graduate from college, and then you move into the next season of life. Um so what was that like for you? Well, so since my sister died in that time frame, and I already kind of alluded, I, I was untethered yeah. and at a loss as to what to do. So I made decisions that, you know, because I don't know who's going to listen to this. I don't want to offend anybody or yeah. paint the wrong picture or disparage anyone because that's not my intent. But I made a lot of bad decisions. It wasn't that I was around bad people at all. Um, 
You would not be the first person who's made a lot of bad decisions. Yeah. So. And I made them early on yeah. and there were lifelong consequences. Yeah. I mean, I, sometimes yeah. I reflect and wonder, I mean, I'm, I'm single today because of a lot yeah. of those decisions. No, I hear you. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> so your career path, um, how do you end up doing what you originally started doing? Uh, was it the influences of maybe a parent, teacher, a friend? Or you've kind of alluded to the fact that with your sister passing away, um, was it a life event like that that kind of thrust you into what you ended up yeah, doing out of school? Exactly. Okay. So the only, so when that happened, um, the only real marketable skill I had was jewelry making because mm. that's a class I took in college. Yeah. I knew how to make jewelry. So yeah. I got a job as a repair person called a benchman yeah. uh, with a local jeweler. And so this happened right out of college because I wasn't going to go back to school. I, I felt I needed to be with my parents. So I got the, that was my first job is, is working at the bench, repairing jewelry. And so I enjoy working with my hands. That's one of the things I, why I still make it. I just love working with my hands. Yeah. I built model airplanes. I woodwork, you know, I did all kinds of things early in life, but, but the point is it, because of that, it, I, I think I, I really look back and think I stayed in it way too long. You know, I was just, I, How so? well, um, It's, Did it just become comfortable for you, and it was easy to kind of stay in the, the rhythm? Well, I love, I loved it. I loved the jewelry. Yeah. I loved the gems. I got yeah. in the real high end of the jewelry business. Like yeah. I said, I ended up as a manager at Neiman Marcus. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. You have to know what you're doing. I got, I became a registered jeweler and certified gemologist with the American Gem Society. So I had formal studies in gemology, which is like yeah. mineralogy. Um, I studied. Um, I was never good enough to make really exceptional jewelry like Tiffany or Van Cleef or Cartier, people like that. Mm. just not at that level, but I loved that stuff. So yeah. I ended up dealing in those pieces um, over time. I started my own business, jewelry business. So I was just, you know, worked at the bench, wasn't happy there, went into sales, made money, you know, had, had my eyes set, I'm going to have my own business because I think I don't need a college degree for my own business. Sure. That was the thinking back then. And back then you could yeah. get away with it. And I did that. I had a couple different jewelry businesses. I manufactured jewelry early on, just silver jewelry, just knickknacks and things. And then uh, later on, it was uh, as like a, a broker, so to speak, that I would, re people wanted to sell jewelry and, and, and I would find a buyer. So I would hook them up, take a commission and go on. I did that for years. And that led me to places that were fascinating. I mean, not enough time to talk about it today, but the stories I have working for Neiman Marcus and in the carriage, what they call the carriage trade and some of the people I met, uh, that's how I learned, you know, I don't, I've never had a lot of money, but I was around people that always had more money than, yeah. I mean, I would get invited to go like to the Caribbean. Oh, you want to meet us down there for the weekend? I yeah. didn't have that kind of money. Yeah. Um, but so it, would they just fly you down there? There was a one or two occasions where that happened, yeah. but it actually made me feel guilty because I didn't, I couldn't do it myself. There was a th thing going on. So, so that's a layer maybe it will resonate with people that while it looked cool and it was a neat story, yeah. the inside of me was feeling like I, yeah. this makes me feel guilty because you know, I was married at the time. And, and so it, it, that took a toll on me. That's one reason I got out of that business yeah. was I, I, uh, while I was very good at what I did, I became one of the best. It never really produced the satisfaction or the st financial stability. Um, and it's a very small business, very closed community that I just never could break into. I was an outsider and it took me probably 10 years to figure out I was never going to be able to make it in that business just because it mm. was, the, it was the odds are against me and it was very closed. You know, if certain people didn't want you to make it. You weren't going to make it. Mm. Part one of my episode with Ian Breckenridge ends here. We'll pick back up with the conclusion of Ian's story on the next episode of Real Friends. In the meantime, to all our listeners in Podville, thank you for being loyal listeners. I appreciate each and every one of you. To a very special friend of mine, I love you dearly. I look forward to sharing more real-life stories with each one of you in the future. Thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Real Friends.